Hello, and welcome to this week's BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Steve Barnett, COO at Quad Real Property Group, a global real estate investment company headquartered in Vancouver, British Columbia. We hear more about Steve's humble beginnings, his journey to the C-suite, and his views on politics, as well as getting to personally know more about the man behind the infectious charm and big smile. How did you end up doing what you're doing? Well, a few few things. It was kind of an interesting path to some extent. I was, um, you know, I mentioned I was a chartered accountant. So I did that, and then I, I got my CA, and they said, you know, now that you've qualified, we can't afford you. So go find a job. So I had they had really? a client, yeah. yeah, and this was in the early '80s, and uh, I'd been doing some work for the school district. I was auditing and everything else, the local school district. So they needed some help. So I went in as kind of an assistant CFO role with them for about a year, and then got into that line of business. And so, I, so I spent. 11 years working for school districts. And then I became an assistant deputy minister of education for the provincial government. Wow. This and, is not uh, where I thought this was going. No. And and I did that for two years, and that's where I got made redundant. They said, well, what, what else would you like to do? And then I went into working for Workers' Compensation Board. Wow. So, uh, so again, a crown. But, where where um, are we? We're in Canada This now. is in Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I did that for about... 16 years, and then I was a CFO there. And one of the things we did was we invested a lot because we had a big insurance fund, and we worked with BC Investment Management Corporation. And then they were looking for a chief operating officer. And uh, it worked out that uh, I was like, okay, well, I I thought I was going to, there were certain things were going to happen at Workers' Comp, and I was going to maybe become the CEO. And my CEO said to me one day, well, I think we're going to work another five or six years. And I went, oh, that's interesting. And the same day, I had a conversation with somebody from BCI who said, we're looking for a COO, and we can't find one. And within two weeks, I was the COO. I've just got to get it in there. Do you think chartered accountancy helped you? Absolutely. You know, I have a real theory that you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time with the right experience or qualifications, yeah. and that definitely helped me along my career to be a CA, you know, because CA at 25, and that was somewhat unusual in the environment was that, so it helped me move along. People always sort of turn to you in the room, when, you, especially when you're young, you find it a bit peculiar. So, oh, well, you're a chartered accountant, what do you think? And you're like, do you know what I, I just learned about auditing, yeah, you know? And it's hard to be a CFO if you're not a chartered accountant, right? It's, it's lovely that it was the same day, though. It was, it was it's weird. It's like serendipity. It was. And that's why I say it's kind of the right time, the right place with the right conversation. And, and, and then with BCI, I was there for about two or three years. We get, had a new CEO come in and uh, we decided, let's create a real estate spinoff. And then he said to me, would you like to go and help start this up? So I became the CEO of, of Quadrio. Wow. So lots of things led to me. So I, I actually spent about, in one of the best towns in the world doing a fantastic job. Having a great time, yeah. So I spent about 35 years in government and then finally switched into a private company. And this this bit has been fantastic, working in a private company. Were there some big changes they switched? They roll away the Coca-Cola machine or anything? You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. No more canteen. No, no, no. I'm a big Diet Coke lover anyway. So, and I found that quite oh, a few people are. We were just discussing. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Steve, what's your long-term goal? Is Quad Real it now? Quad Real's it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going to retire soon. I've been doing this a long time, so my long-term goal is basically to... Oh, it's impolite to ask. You can't ask somebody you how can't. they are. You will be retiring slightly earlier than some, perhaps. Could that um, be said? 
No, I'm 64, so I'm... Piss off, I'm ready. Tell our guests to piss off. <laughs> Shut the front door. <laughs> I've just learned of my sister, now my son's saying it all the time. Yes. It's very amusing. But yes, yeah, so that's, you know, the longer term goals are all about basically my own personal happiness with my wife and our family and that kind of thing. So, Have yeah. you got kids? Uh, got three kids. Um, I, I married into them, so I have three stepdaughters. Jeez. And I have seven grandkids. Oh, oh my, my God. God. How old were the, kid, uh, the daughters when you married in? They were teenagers when they married. Oh, my God. Talk and, about uh, a conversion course. That it was. It was. And I learned very quickly that when you are a stepfather, you don't really deal with the kids. You support the mother. Yeah. Don't interfere yeah, and yeah, me up. Yeah, that's right. Frankly, if you have four girls, that's the deal full stop for the man. <laughs> so I back mum up just, just to make sure she's got whatever she needs, you know. What's most misunderstood about your job? Chief operating officers. Oh. It's everything that's left over, isn't it? It, it? it kind of is. So there's, yeah. you know, in, in our business, you know, there's the investment business and then there's the operations side. So, I mean, I work with the the chief financial officer and the, and the chief talent officer, HR person. And the three of us kind of look after the operations side of the business, you know, and we worry about, you know, all the things like uh, the culture of the place. Uh, and then, of course, the specifics like IT and and communications and all those different things. So it's it's an interesting job. And the, the other thing that's interesting about the COO job is my job at Quadreal as a COO was quite different from my job as at BCI as a COO because they had different responsibilities. And it's really around the, the relationship you have with the CEO and where does the CEO see the gaps in the business or how do they want to fill them? And so the COO's job is about filling those gaps. Filling those management gaps. Yeah, management yeah. gaps. So like, okay, who's looking after this? Who's looking after this? And so, you know, if I'm not the fastest one to, to step backwards. I'm the, I'm the guy for it. So, yeah, but, and I love it, so it's good. We get a bit confused, I think, about the hierarchical structure. We've sort of stolen it now back from America, but we had the sort of managing director and then there'd be a finance director, but definitely all confused. I remember when Mike joined our business, Mike's our COO, and he, he's a very brilliant man, but he'd always say, well, who's their line manager? And we'd all be like, oh, um, is it, uh? well, Tony is, but he's away, and uh, we don't know. And, and, and it was like, oh, we don't have a hierarchy sort of thing, but we're a partnership, and it kind of doesn't work exactly like that. It's a much flatter much kind of flatter structure. structure and it is strange at the stop you're kind of family but the, as i understand it the america thing is ceo buck stop you know it's not even buck stops he he controls the other c operating officers is it well very much but uh, i mean it's it's uh, but it's very much a team relationship yeah like, sure i mean i've, I've been very lucky i mean over yeah. the years i've had very good ceos to work with and my current ceo and my last ceo fantastic guys and they there's a give and take in it right they say well look you know, this is the strategy, which is what you want CEOs to do, is really own the strategy, get yeah, the, the board, the vision, and then be able to turn around to the rest of us and say, okay, as, as, as my C-suite, how, let's, let's talk about how we're going to operationalize this. How are we going to make this actually work? Yeah. And so those are, those are the conversations we have. And, and uh, you know, he drags us, you know, he, we never, we're never fast enough for what he wants, but no, that's, that's, that's the role. And, and we're trying to get things in place and, you know, it works. A Diet Coke machine in every office in America. That's it. That's it. I'm on it. What would you say the biggest problem facing your industry is? I would say that we talked about it is inflation. I think we talked about that earlier. And I, th I think this whole hybrid work, where is it going to go? And how is it going to end up is 
is something we're just watching very carefully. And if your valuations, if it's like, oh, commercial property's fucked, you know, as my very clever friend who always predicts the future when COVID kicked, he told me COVID was going to happen. Then he told me people won't be flying in planes very more. He's like a savant. And then I said, I rang him up and said, what's your prediction now? And he's like, people are going to have to sell the odd skyscraper, I think. And, it, you know, they're very simple odd statements because it's like at each stage, the facts were kind of there. He just can see it. Should do investing. But is that, is, does that, is, what happened? What happens to you if your valuations are going to go up and down like crazy? Or Well, valuations are, in real estate, are primarily based on the leases you have in that building, right? right. So if you've the got yield. long-term leases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to have? And so, of course, as if you have tenants who are saying, well, at the end of our lease, we're going to reduce the size or we're going to step out of these, you know, that stuff starts coming current. Your valuation of a building goes down. So what happens, though, is because leases are generally longer, so it, it takes longer to impact real estate. So if you look at the uh, financial crisis of 2008, the public markets and public debt were like impacted very hard in 2007-8. Private equity and real estate was impacted in 2009-10. Right. God, that even starts to get towards the seven-year cycle, which has become like a six-year itch. I don't know. <laughs> Here's a big one for £10. Uh, what are you doing about climate change as a business? Well, as, as a business, like I said, we, we, there's a few things we're doing. One is it, inf- it influences our investment decisions about where we're going to invest and what, what are we going to invest in. And then secondly, we have uh, lots of sustainability initiatives around buildings, trying to get to uh, essentially zero emissions. Okay. But you're, you're the owners, so you're the landlords effectively, and it's your duty to sort of say, okay, we've got to make... Because building a sustainable building is still very expensive and complicated, but the simple things we can do to improve efficiency, which ironically are things like seal it, the whole thing, so the germs stay there properly. And then COVID came along, we were like, open everything! And now we're like, do we open or close it? It's like, I, I, you know, I don't know what the right answer is now, you know. So lots of things like that we're going through. There, we, we feel pretty good. Well, there's a there's an international standard called GRISBY, which is like the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. So we've done really well in that in uh, in the diversified sector of real estate. We've been like number one in North America. Do you own, do you own so real estate all around the world? We do, but it's mostly in Canada, and then we have partners. So we have we have uh, we own assets here in London and Australia. Uh, China, uh, Europe, but yes, uh, we do own them all over the world. But sustainability is a huge issue now. And it's all about operating costs, right? Because tenants want lower operating costs, and that usually is all about the energy costs of a building. And so to your point, how sealed or not is the building? Uh, How do you do that? How do you do effective um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, HVAC stuff? How do you do... um, you know, even access and entry into buildings. So security is an issue. So all these things are influencing building design. I mean, they really need to make these skyscrapers out of solar panels, don't they? And like, bish, bash, bosh, we're done. You know, we need a glass solar panel. It's probably been invented. And uh, and there's also, uh, you know, what has been invented is like, you know, roofing on just a residential building. Mm-hmm. They now have those roof shingles yeah. are solar panels themselves. Are they? Yeah. So you can do those kind of things. So... Solar panels is a, is a big, it's been a big investment and, a, and quite frankly, it's been prevalent in areas where the governments have come in and subsidized it in the shorter term with long-term, you know, goals in or their, their various 
electrical or hydro uh, utility. God, do you remember utility? when they were giving like out it? money to build solar panels and everyone just went mad for it for a bit and then they oh, were yeah. like, oh, bloody hell, crap that on, you know. Well, Hawaii was a great example in North America because they the government there went out and said, you know, we're going to subsidize this and then you'll, you know, we'll work it through your hydro bills basically. So it spent out. And for a lot of people, they put them in. They were thinking there would be like, it would take 20 years to pay it back. The average payback was like four years. Wow. But you're in Hawaii. Yeah, you got 300 days of sun. I was about, yeah, I thought you were going to tell me that you're in Hawaii, which is awful, of course. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. What are you most excited about for your business? I just think there's so much going on that we are involved in and our expansion, you know, moving into uh, different uh, countries. And just the evolution here, we're only six years old as a company, so we're still evolving. We've got the basics in place, but I mean, it gets pretty exciting. I, you know, I work with great people and that's that just makes it, you know, that much more exciting every day to kind of work through and we think through ideas. And and I say, our, our, I think our business, maybe it's because we're new, we just seem to have a relatively efficient and quick way to kind of get to decisions being made, whether that's around strategy in the long term or it's about specific things. So we can kind of, like we use the term cut to the chase, we can cut to the chase relatively quickly and make things happen. And that's really beneficial in our business and sometimes surprising to our partners. Like, really? You can do that quickly? Are you all of similar mindsets? Does that mean at a sort of sea level or...? I mean, that, that, that's almost an unfair way to put it, but you sort of... Yeah, no, we're not not that homogenous. And in fact, that's part of the trick of this is we have different viewpoints, but we, you know, you try to be very fact-based about these things. And, you know, it's hard, right? We're people. We have emotions as well. So some yeah. things become emotional, but mm-hmm. but we tend to get past that relatively quickly. And we go to like what an investment is... You know, it cuts down to okay. What does this work out to? What are, what's the what's the short term cost? Of, what's the long term cost? How does this balance out? Is it a good investment? Can we sell it again in ten years time? Or? Does it have a dark coke machine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What's your biggest fuck up? Yes, I've had a few. The biggest one was back in my days in the work consult conversation, we worked with a lot of the healthcare providers, doctors and chiropractors. Mm -hmm. and, And so we were setting up a way to kind of electrify the whole process and make it so that the we could get the the submissions we needed which was the the, the care plans and we would pay them immediately because that was their biggest complaint is that we would take like six months to pay them for this stuff so we had this great system we worked on it I was the I was the project sponsor and I think the week before we did it I was in front of 
whole bunch of these people. And I said, this is going to be great. It's going to work like that. And, of course, it went into play, and it was just a big screw-up. We just, it took about six months of, of hard, hard work to make it actually work the way right. we wanted to. But that first six months, it was like, oh, my God. You built it up, too. It sounded yeah, like we built kind of, it up. And I said, you know, oh, it's going to be fun. And, I, you know, and so, you know, you always, you know, what your lessons learned from that personally was that, uh, when you're running a big project, it doesn't matter how big it is, you need to know what's going on and you've got to make sure that everybody, you know, that the things are in place. And I think, you know, it kind of talked about a little bit, but there was, I was, we had in process, it's almost like, a, well, if I have a problem in part of the, you know, the, the build up that we're doing, I don't really want to take that to the next level because it looks like I'm not really doing my job. So you have that happen. 20 times, you have a big mess yeah, happening. You just have something that doesn't work at no. all. No. So, you know, so we revamped, we, we learned a lot from that of how do, how do we escalate issues and make people fearless about doing it so that, you know, that it wasn't going to be like, well, it's your job to get this fixed. So, um, yeah, but that was, it was a big screw up. I, I, uh, Did I you go into anyone's that. office and find your picture on the wall with a dart <laughs> going into it? No, like, but I had to do a lot of uh, effective apology sessions for about Effective apology sessions? Yes. A-E-A-S is, is that a thing? <laughs> it is now. It is now. No, it is now. Well, have you got a passion outside of work? Oh, I've got two or three. I mean, uh, one is my one's my family, so that's great. But um, uh, and I'm really, you know, uh, I spend lots of times with them. I, you know, I, every Wednesday night, I go to the driving range with my two oldest uh, grandsons. Driving range is so golf, golf, yeah, and uh, and the shooting range. <laughs> yes, not the shooting range. And then um, my other ones are uh, music and and uh, soccer. I mean, I grew up here, so I mean kicked the ball since as long as I can remember. So, Who, Who's your team? United. So I, even though I'm from Colchester. There's a whole section of people right now booing. I know. Really. I, I knew that. <laughs> I feel it. I can hear it, you know. I know, and I can too. But I you was... You grew up I, at that point, right? I grew up at George Best. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. he was phenomenal, right? So I yeah, became yeah. a George Best. And that was the time, you know, in the mid-60s, early late 60s of Bobby Charlton. 1966. Frank, Morgan... Best Stepney. I mean, what a fantastic team! So I grew up on it and just have supported them all the way through what I call the second coming of Ronaldo. The second coming of Ronaldo, being Ronaldo is the second Jesus after George Best, is it? No, his his second time at United. Ah, okay, that's the thing. I'm so ignorant on sport. And where? I knew that. Quick, quickly moving to a subject I, I know more about. Well done, well done. Uh, what, what's your musical taste? Did you have a? Um, I a was um, well. I grew up on kind of uh, new wave punk stuff. So oh. I love that that kind of early '80s uh, genre that went through. So I didn't really get into all. I mean. Yeah, you know, everybody who's got a guitar can try out the hand that stay where they have them. But I didn't really get into the big hair bands of the yeah. 70s and all that stuff. You know, you play some stuff. But when it got to the 80s, it was just so much fun. 80s is amazing. You know, very interestingly, having played my three-year-old and two-year-old lots and lots of music, they love 80s music. And I think it's just this happy, timeless, you know, that can't take on me is one of their favorites of the most. Take on me was the first record I owned. Oh, it's a cracker. 45. Mine was Moldy Old Doe. Moldy Old Doe. So that takes you back a while. That was... That's a, very British. Yeah, very British. 
mouldy old dough. Uh, uh, mine is stand and deliver, Adam Ann. And weirdly, oh, I met nice. someone the other day whose godparent is Adam Ann, which I just thought, God, what a terrible choice of godparent. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually do get to choice that. Yeah, too, yeah exactly. I'm like, is he any good? Well, not really. Occasionally turns up, you know. <laughs> What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Worst. The worst piece of advice was... I, I call it play within the lines. You know, you're, in, you're working in and you have this great idea, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't tell anybody about that. Right. And that's, I've had that advice maybe four or five times in my career, which is kind of scary. And I've, I've tried to never adhere to that. Don't think, don't act outside the box. Yeah, don't, you know, don't, you know, that's, ooh, that's, that's kind of, ooh, that's new. Play that's iffy, you know, why would you do that? So, yeah, I think that's probably the worst advice you can give anybody is to kind of just, you know, don't Be raise it. Yeah, yeah, good, good advice to a footballer, though. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the best piece? Best piece of advice. Now, this is a little. Uh, my first boss. Uh, I was about oh, twenty-five. I thought it was going to be your dad. No, no, it's not my dad. No, my my. This was different because I always because it was a little off color. He said to me when I first started with him, and I've been working with him for a couple of months. He says, "Okay, I'm going to give you three pieces of advice, okay. and it's the best way to have a great career." He says, "Don't mess with your expenses." Try to always be the first one in the office and don't boink your secretary. Oh my gosh. He's obviously ticked oh, all three. He'd obviously done advice. them all. But wait a second, that was don't mess with your expenses. Don't don't bullshit be the your first expenses. Person, yeah, be the first that obviously person. went wrong politically in this country a while ago. Be the first person in the office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's me. But leave first, possibly. Yeah, I don't possibly. know. Get, get, yeah. get in there first. Don't shag your secretary. That's good advice. Any like key recommendations to read? You know, something read you would say to everyone: read or... this. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to I read a lot of e-books, but I and I'm a science fiction nut, so I I grew up Ooh. on Isaac Asimov. Oh my god, and, he's, the, he's the god. Really? Are you yeah. a Dune fan? I, I, I love Dune. Yeah, I love Dune. Sorry, uh, I think Dune. I read all yes, seven Dune. books of it. Maybe because I wanted to be an astronaut, I just kind of fell into science fiction when I was a kid, and I just loved it, and I've read it ever since. And so that, and then. Every five years or so, I read Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand because it's it's just such an amazing Atlas. book. It's it's kind of right wing, I think, yes. but it's uh, but kind it's of. very uh, it's it's kind of like a meritocracy thing. If you can if you can do things and you earn the right to do it, you should it's do it. More. What advice would you give to your younger self? That's an interesting question. I I thought to myself, well, okay, so I kind of know what I'm thinking back then, and I thought my advice would be. I would skip all of the government stuff I did and go straight to the financial markets. <laughs> Make the money. Make the money. Did you find government a bit gloopy? Did you a bit sort of like... <sighs> there was a little bit of that, and it's just that there's, there's, there's not a lot of money in government, right? Well, there's a lot of money, but not in paying, being no, paid. Yeah, not in yeah. government pay. They've got it somewhere. You're in the wrong country, I think, because I remember being in India and them saying, I said, God, he's, you know, in India you get these huge disparities. God, he's rich. And he said, oh, he's nothing next to a politician. I said, what do you mean? And he, he said, and, and we just had that simple conversation that India, the richest people are politicians. And I just, as a statement, I was like, that's got to be wrong. But meanwhile, I think we probably underpay them in this country because we're paying a prime minister 150 grand, which frankly is piss all yeah, now. But, What's happened okay. to the CEOs? No, okay. I think it's fair salary. No, no, no. But, 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 that's but not the, the talent point. is getting a million quid in the big companies. You but know. also that prime minister or that minister is also getting about 150 to 200 
pounds of expenses. Again. Yeah, it's still not enough, like probably. You, you, you know, you Pro- add probably it all together, they should... they're probably making half a million each. But if we were being simple about talent, you could say, oh, it's a vocation, you know, it's very important. No, you're going to ruin your life. It's going to be awful. It's going to be really bad for your family. <laughs> Maybe you How many prime ministers have come out with roses, smelling of roses? Well, Churchill didn't even, t- after the second time, we now in retrospect saying, thank fuck he won us. Gordon you know, Brown? You know, <laughs> Gordon Brown, I mean, you know, Tony Blair ended up bombing out, even though he was a brilliant politician. He did an incredible job, really. Yeah, I mean, he did if it, one thing very, very badly. Yeah, he fucked something up. You're always going to fuck something up. And there's no give, which is what I always, you know, there's no... no. I, I also, to your point earlier, the, the exposure you get when you're a politician and how your life is laid bare, oh. you know, your family, everything yeah. is just like... You should get why danger you do money. This? Yeah, why? I think if the top CEOs, and they are, they're getting a million quid a year, we probably should just flate it on say, okay, FTSE 100 companies, average top CEO salary, that's what you get. And, and it's not like, it's a drop in the fucking ocean, a million quid out of our budget. We're just voting a hundred billion to do fuck all about fuck all or whatever, you know? And it's like, pay the guy a million quid so we get someone good. I, I think the problem is you used you used a word just now that is possibly yeah. the wrong word to describe our government. No talent. Did I say talent? You said I didn't talent. mean to associate that word with our government at any point. But I think that's got to do with it. I mean, when you can make a million quid as a CEO, why would you be the prime minister? Why would you do it? It's almost should be two million quid because it's going to be so awful for right, you. You actually you know? want people to compete for it. Compete for it. At least if there was a financial incentive, it might mean that you'd say, look, it's going to be a big sacrifice, but we could earn a lot of money. You know, and, and I'm not saying you mustn't do it for that, but that maybe balance up the pain. But we know? want people in government, right, that are doing it for public service. I don't know. I think you've got to be a realist. I kind of agree with that. I think you've got to attract the right people at the beginning. And, and you know, your point is, are the best minds in government? And I would say in most countries, the answer is going to be no, because there's a lot of different ways to make money, be anonymous you know you can you can run a company and, and you don't go into the grocery store and get you know mobbed and and, and and shouted at but that's where I'm with the French it's like first of all private life nothing to do with it I'm sorry I don't see what is relevant in a job you wouldn't say well I heard the other day you bonked the secretary mm, integrity man maybe but you know if we overhear someone's bonked it's just like well, good for them where did they do it <laughs> So that was this week's episode of BWB Extra and we'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. Until then, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>